Okay, Proverbs chapter 5, and we'll read the entire chapter and then have our Bible study on it. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 1 says, My son, give attention to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding, that you may observe discretion and your lips may reserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and smoother than oil is her speech. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps take hold of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways are unstable, she does not know it. Now then, my sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, or you will give your vigor to others, and your years to the cruel one. And strangers will be filled with your strength, and your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien. And you groan at your final end, when your flesh and your body are consumed. And you say, How I have hated instruction, and my heart spurned reproof. I have not listened to the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to my instructors. I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and the congregation." Drink water from your own cistern, and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be yours alone, and not for the strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed, and rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress? And embrace the bosom of a foreigner. For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all of his paths. His own iniquities will capture the wicked, and he will be held with the cords of his sin. He will die for lack of instruction, and in the greatness of his folly, he will go astray. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today, Lord, asking for you to grant to us, Lord, faith. Lord, faith in your word, and Lord, faith what your word declares concerning the pathway of sin. Lord, especially concerning the path of immorality. That, Lord, this desire that takes a hold of so many people, Lord, one that we must fight against. And the only way that we can overcome it is by perceiving the end of this sin. Lord, seeing that those who commit immorality that adulterers will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, Father, help us to see this and to see that, Lord, you are the one who has given this desire to us, and you are the one who teaches us, Lord, how to act upon it in a way that is righteous. Lord, that is not contrary to your command, but in keeping with it. So, Father, may we walk in the path of the upright. Lord, may we have control over our bodies. And, Lord, not allow our lust to, Lord, run uncontrolled over us. Lord, that we may not be driven by these lusts, but rather have control and, Lord, practice righteousness in all things. So, Lord, teach us today from your word, and it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, here in chapter 5 of Proverbs, the prophet is teaching us concerning uh, immorality, He's talking about sex in this chapter and what is the abuse of it and what is the proper use of it, right? The abuse and the proper use of this desire and the way that God has created us as both male and female, right? The Bible speaks a lot about sexual immorality. It also speaks a lot about the proper use of sex in the proper way in the home with the husband and the wife. And in these ways, the church has in many ways failed uh, miserably through the years, right? Failed miserably through the years in many regards. Either it is that the church doesn't address it at all, that it's taboo and it's an off-topic subject, and so we're not even going to talk about it because these things shouldn't be talked about openly. Well, the Bible talks about it openly, right? Isn't the Bible openly talking about this in Proverbs chapter 5? And not only does it talk about it here, but in many other places in the Bible. Actually, you will see in the next several chapters, this is brought up over and over and over again. And that's because it is a common problem. 
a common sin and something that everyone has to deal with, right? So we need to know what the Bible says about male and female, about human sexuality, about sex, about marriage, about the proper use. These desires, where do they come from? Are they evil? Are they good? Right? We need to understand all of these things in the biblical perspective of this. So in many ways, the church has failed because it doesn't even talk about it or it has a very lax attitude toward immorality. Right? It, well, you know, it's just not a big deal and uh, and so, you know, boys will be boys, girls will be girls, you have to sow your wild oats, you know, you have to live it up, and, you know, it's not that big of a deal, we all sin after all, and we're all going to make it to heaven. There are many who are like that. Or the other problem is that they preach against immorality, which is good, but then they don't preach the positive aspects. They don't preach about the proper use of it, so that people have this notion and this idea that the desire for sexual fulfillment is somehow in and of itself evil. But the desire is not evil if it is practiced properly. The desire comes from God himself. Who's the one that created us, male and female? Who is the one who gave us the bodies that we have that are designed in this way for the man to come with the woman in this sexual way? God is the one who did this. And who is the one that gives us the desire? God is the one who gives us that desire, and God has provided a way for this desire to be fulfilled in righteousness. When a man marries a woman, and the man knows his wife in this way, it's not a sin. It's not evil, right? We shouldn't think of it in that way as if this is some kind of base desire that is evil and, and like an animal, and that we should just try to put it away and not have anything to do with it, and not talk about it. No, we shouldn't do that at all, because however much we want to do that, we can't do that. And the means that God has given for a man to have the desire and the woman to have the desire and not commit sin is to practice it in the proper context, which is in the confines of the marriage institution, the marriage relationship between the man and wife. And there it can be practiced in the proper way, in a way that's pleasing to God and actually brings glory to God. Many people don't think in that way. Even many Christians don't think that when a man and a woman are coming together in faith, doing it the right way according to the Bible, that it is actually an act of righteousness. It's an act of faith and obedience to God, and yet this is what the Bible teaches. So we need to talk about these things openly, honestly. What does the Bible say about these things? Proverbs chapter 5 is dealing with common sins, sins that are common to man. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. And all of us will have to admit, by our own experience and by objective reality looking at the world, this is a common temptation, a common temptation to both men and women. Now, here in this chapter, it's addressing it in a particular way to the men and to the women, but both of them apply to both men and women, right? So in this regards, it is addressing the men, warning the men, do not let your desires, right? Don't let your lust consume you so that you act upon them outside of self-control, so that you go to an adulterous woman, or that you commit fornication, that you are practicing and trying to fulfill these desires, acting on these desires outside of the will of God. So it's warning the men against the adulterous woman. The converse would be true as well. Women need to be warned about an adultering men, that they need to stay away from them as well. So there can be women who desire those kinds of men, but more commonly, it's the men who are chasing after the girls, right? Chasing after them in that way. Then for the women, don't be like the adulterous woman who uses her body and uses her sexuality to hook and manipulate men. Isn't this common with women? Don't women know how to use their bodies? They know how to use it to tie men in knots and to get men to do their bidding and to do what they want them to do. So it's warning the women, don't use your body and don't use what you know to be true of men as a way of hooking them, manipulating them, getting them to give you what you want them to give you. The Christian women shouldn't do this, but should use their bodies in a way that honors the Lord. 
by dressing in a proper way with modesty, not trying to appeal in that way, letting their beauty not be the outward person, but rather the inward person of the heart. Now, this is also true of men. Men shouldn't use their bodies in a way to attract attention to themselves from the women, right? Though it's more common for women to do that than men, but men shouldn't do it either. So whatever it's saying to the men also applies to the women, and whatever it's saying about the women also applies to the men. This is how the Bible often addresses and deal with, deals with things. It addresses one, but in doing so, it's obvious that it applies to everyone. Okay, so that's the way that we should take it. So let's read verses 1 through 6, and then we'll uh, look up a cr- few cross-references there. It says, My son, give attention to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding, that you may observe discretion, and your lips may reserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and smoother than oil is her speech. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps take hold of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life, her ways are unstable, she does not know it. Here he is telling the son, you need to listen to me. You need to listen to my wisdom. Give attention to it. Incline your ear to my understanding. Right? I'm not talking about uh, issues uh, floating around in the clouds. We're not talking about how many angels can dance on the pin of a needle. That's not what we're talking about here. This is something that is immensely practical for all people and especially for young men. So he's telling them, you need to listen to me because what I'm telling you is going to save your life. It's going to preserve and keep you from a life of misery and from going to hell for all eternity. So you need to pay close attention. Observe what I am telling you. My lips have knowledge upon them and you need to listen to me. And here he is addressing a specific type of sin. Specific sin, which is the sin of immorality, of sexual immorality. And he's warning about the adulterous woman. He says, her lips, the lips of an adulteress, drip honey. And smoother than oil is her speech. What's coming out of her mouth, right? It's like honey. It's so sweet. It looks so good. It's so appealing to you. Softer than oil, it sounds so good when it lands on your ear because the adulterous woman, she's not telling you the truth. She's not telling you the truth about yourself. She's flattering you. She's saying all the things that you want to hear, that puff you up with pride, that make you feel wonderful about yourself because she has something else on her mind. She doesn't have your best interest at heart, right? She has this honey on her lips and she has oil in her speech. But in the end, she's as bitter as wormwood, right? In the end, when? When does she become as bitter as wormwood? On the day of judgment. On the day of judgment, you will find out that that wasn't honey. Actually, it was poisoned that was laced with honey. It's candy-coated poison. That's what she has. Yes, it seems good right now temporarily. It looks good right now in the moment. But you'll find out later on the day of judgment that it's full of poison. It's full of wormwood and of poison. She is as sharp as a two-edged sword. A two-edged sword. If that pierces you, you know it's going to kill you, right? It has an edge on both sides. It's going to tear you to pieces on the inside. Well, this is what she'll do to your soul. She'll pierce you with the two-edged sword, and it'll kill your soul. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold of Shaol. She goes to hell, and if you are attached to her, she'll drag you to hell with her. That's where she ends up. The adulterous woman ends up going to hell, and those who commit adultery with her are going to go to hell with her as well. This is what he's saying. This is why she ends up like wormwood. It's when she goes to hell that all of this sweetness now becomes very bitter. The fleeting pleasure of sin gives way to unending eternal torments on the day of judgment. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways are unstable. She does not know it. Is the adulterous woman thinking about the life to come? Is she thinking about pleasing God? Is she thinking about how to obey God, how to get eternal rewards? 
She's not thinking about spiritual things. That's not on her mind at all. All she's thinking about is having a good time. Pleasure, worldly pleasures, the pleasures of the body. This is what she's thinking about. And then also what she can gain from men. Because men who want that will often give gifts. They'll give money. They'll flatter them as well. And they'll give them all the things that they want. So she's not thinking about the life to come. She's not thinking about eternity. She's just thinking about the here and now. This present life and the good time that she's going to have. And all that she's going to gain by doing this. She's not thinking about the life to come. Her ways are unstable. She's an unstable woman. Isn't that often true as well? Those who are prone to sexual promiscuity, these kinds of women are very, very unstable. They run from man to man to man to man to man. There's no stability there. And in their life, are they stable? No, there's no stability in their life at all. And she doesn't even know it. She doesn't even realize how consumed she is with her own sin. And if you are with her, then you're going to be just like her as well. This is what he's warning them about. Now, all of this necessitates faith. Faith, right? Faith is the key. We have to have faith in the word of God. Because have we yet seen her go down to death? Have we seen her in the lake of fire? Not yet. Now she's in this life. Now she looks so appealing. Now she's so voluptuous. Right now, ooh, how can we say no to her, right? Look at her. Look at the way she looks and listen to her speech. It's so appealing. But we have to be able to look past the present beyond what our eyes see physically. And by faith, we have to look to the day of judgment and hear Christ say to her, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Depart from me, you accursed into the lake of fire. That's what we have to be able to see. But we can't see that with our physical eyes. We can only see that with the eyes of faith. We have to have faith and believe in the word of God, in what God's word declares concerning sin and concerning the judgment that will come upon sin. Then we'll see through her lies and we'll say, I don't want anything to do with that. We'll see that this woman, she's trying to poison me. She's trying to drag me to hell. So why would I want anything to do with her? I'm going to run away from her like righteous Joseph. That's what he did with Potiphar's wife. He knew what she was. Now, do you think she was making herself very appealing to him physically? Of course she was. She wasn't rolling out of bed with her hair all matted up and her stinky morning breath. No way. She was coming to him in a way that would have been very appealing to him. But Joseph wasn't looking at her with his physical eyes. He was looking at her with his spiritual eyes. And he knew what she wanted to do and what would be the consequence of that sin. And that's why he ran away from her as quickly as he could. He got far away from her. A couple of passages. First, Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 verse 1. Hebrews 11, verse 1. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The conviction of things not seen. Have we seen the day of judgment? Have we seen the lake of fire? Have we seen the adulterous woman go down to death? Not yet. But we have to have the conviction of things not seen. Is it going to happen? It's going to happen because God's word says so. We have to have the conviction in what will happen on the day of judgment. And if we believe that, then we're not going to want anything to do with her because we don't want to go to hell. Hebrews 11, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Right? Isn't that true of our passage in Proverbs 5? Well, if we don't have faith in what is unseen in the day of judgment, and we're just living by what we see then we're not going to please him because we're going to say, let's go have a good time. But if we're living by what we don't see, then we're going to please him because we're going to say, no, I can't do this. I can't do this because it's a sin against God and I don't want to come under the judgment of God. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. 
And what is the converse truth to that? He's a rewarder of those who seek him. But what about those who don't seek him? He's a punisher of them. Well, isn't that the adulterous woman? She does not seek God. She doesn't care about the things of God. God's going to punish her. We have to believe that. Verse 7, by faith Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. There, Noah was warned about things not yet seen. Things not yet seen. Well, isn't that what we're being warned about in Proverbs chapter 5? Warned about things not yet seen. She's going to hell. Well, she's not there yet, but we're being warned about what's going to happen to her if she does not repent. Also, verse 23. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward." There, Moses chose to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. All of the pleasures that were associated with the house of Pharaoh, with being a son of Egypt, all of those were available to Moses. And included in that would have been sexual immorality, right? And all the other things that go with rich people, gluttony, drunkenness, Uh, pleasure-seeking, all those, including sexual immorality. But he chose to go be mistreated with God's people than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. That's what he knew they were. They're passing pleasures. They're momentary pleasures, but then they give way to eternal judgment. That's what Proverbs 5 is warning us about. It's the passing pleasures of sin. Also, Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians 4. And verse 8. Second Corinthians 4.18, sorry. 4.18, we'll pick up in verse 17. It says, For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. There, we're looking for things that are not seen. Those things seen are temporal. The adulterous woman is temporal. The judgment upon her is not seen. It is eternal. Well, what do we have to look at to avoid her? We have to look at the eternal. We have to look at the unseen in order to avoid her. Otherwise, we're going to want to go have a good time with her. And then chapter 5, verse 7. We walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. So, We must see that the adulterous woman and the adulterous man, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's the way we overcome this sin. And not only this sin, but every other sin. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexual, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. 
That we have to see by faith. By faith in the word of God. And if we are looking with spiritual eyes at the situation, at the adulterous woman, though she may be very appealing physically, spiritually she's going to be detestable and we're not going to want anything to do with her. We want to stay far away because we don't want to go to hell with her. Verse 7. Now then, my sons, listen to me. And do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, or you will give your vigor to others and your years to the cruel one. And strangers will be filled with your strength, and your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien, and you groan at your final end. When your flesh and your body are consumed, and you say, How I have hated instruction, and my heart spurned reproof. I have not listened to the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to my instructors. I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and the congregation. Here he tells him, he tells him, and here he's addressing it to my sons, listen to me. Not only my son, but all of you men, all of my sons, listen to me. None of you need to depart from the words of my mouth. This is for every man and every woman. Everyone needs to pay heed and attention to what he says. Verse 8, keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. Most people, when they're dealing with sin, they want to know, how close can I get without going over the edge? How much can I indulge in the world? How much fun can I have? Right? What is too much? This is how most people look at the world, and this is how many people look at sin. They want to know, where is the edge? Where is the line? So I can get as close to the line as possible without going over. Is that his perspective? Verse 8, no. He says, stay as far away as possible. Why would you want to even go near her? Get as far away as you can possibly get. Don't even go near the door of her house. If you know that she's on that street, then go another way. Well, it's going to take me longer to walk that way. Well, that's better than going to hell. So walk that way. Do whatever it takes to stay away from her so that you don't even come into association with her so that the temptation is not even there. There are times where temptation is unavoidable. And when that is the case, then we have to overcome it. But how foolish that we would intentionally, right, put ourselves in temptation. That we would carelessly, through our own neglect and laziness, walk into the pathway of sinners and put ourselves and expose ourselves to situations that we know are going to lead to temptation and likely our failure. Don't do it. Do not do it. Instead, the right attitude is, I'm going to stay as far away from sin as I possibly can. I'm going to run away from her house. I'm not going to go anywhere near it. Because why? Verse 9, if you do, you will give your vigor to others and your years to the cruel one. Strangers will be filled with your strength and your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien. If you get mixed up with this kind of woman or this kind of man, your life is going to be miserable and all of your hard work, all of your strength, all of your vigor, your good years are going to go to another person. Instead of your own wife, you're going to be spending all your hard-earned money on this other woman. And then she might get pregnant as well. And now you're going to have illegitimate children with her. So now you've got two families to feed. Isn't this what often happens? Aren't those people who go in this way from woman to woman to woman, married here, married there, not married to this one, but they have children with two or three or four different people? And I'm, I'm sure that you all know people like that. How do they even afford to live? Because they're paying child support to all these different people. They're supporting all these different situations. They live in misery. Right in poverty because of their sin. No stability at all. Strangers are getting your strength. Your hard-on goods are going to the house of an alien. This is what is happening to those who live in this way. Squandering everything. All of their hard work. All of the wealth. Everything that should be used for the glory of God and the establishment and the good of their own family. Right? It's good for us to work hard. It's good for us to acquire wealth. It's good for a man to build up an estate. 
for the glory of God and for the benefit of his wife and children. But the one who is with the adulterous woman, all of his goods are going to go to someone else. It's not benefiting. It's certainly not for the glory of God because you're committing sin. And then it's depriving your wife and your children. Those who have a right to it aren't getting it because it's going to this foreigner, this stranger, this alien to the household. So this is not right, right? It's not right. It is a great sin. You're robbing and depriving your own flesh and blood, your own wife and children of what is their right and what is their due. Verse 11, and you groan at your final end when your flesh and your body are consumed. Misery in life, misery in the life to come. That's what you get with the adulterous woman. You're going to groan at your final end. You're going to die a miserable death. Your conscience is going to be so guilty. You're going to die a miserable death, and then your flesh and body are going to be consumed in the lake of fire for all eternity. That's what he's saying to them. And, hey, you know, you may be, your flesh and body may be consumed in this life as well. Because when you're with these kinds of people, don't they often have many diseases that spread around? And then they get these diseases, and that's not good for your body either. So you're going to have all sorts of misery because of this sin. And no one's thinking about these things in the moment. All they're thinking about in the moment is what? The good time. Oh, this is going to be great. But they're not thinking long term. Not even long-term in this life, much less in the life to come. But we have to think and consider these things. That's what the prophet is telling us here. Isaiah 66. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 24. When people always say, you know, you know, when you preach, you need to leave people with something positive at the end, right? Leave something upbeat, something positive to make them feel good. Isaiah, he missed that day of preaching class, right? Because Isaiah does not do this at all. Isaiah 66, verse 24, though it is upbeat to me and to those who believe, says, then they will go forth and look on the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me, for their worm will not die and their fire will not be quenched and they will be in abhorrence to all mankind. This is the wicked. This is the wicked. Their corpses, those who transgressed against God, their worm will not die. They will be eaten and consumed by death in the lake of fire for all eternity. And they will be an abhorrence to God and an abhorrence to all mankind, to those who are righteous. Verse 12, and you will say, these words are going to come back to haunt you on the day of judgment. How I have hated instruction. My heart spurned reproof. I have not listened to the voice of my teacher, nor inclined my ears to my instructors. I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and the congregation. There, on this day of judgment, when the judgment of God is being pronounced upon these people, they're going to remember, you know, my pastor told me, to stay away from this kind of adulterous woman. My parents, they instructed me and told me not to live that kind of a life. They told me that it was a sin against God. They told me that I shouldn't do those kinds of things. You know, that friend of mine who was a Christian, he warned me about the kind of life and the pathway that I was going down. But when they told me those things, I laughed at them. I said, oh, you people, you're, you're such sticks in the mud, right? We got to have a good time, right? You're just a bunch of Puritans, right? right? Just a bunch of holier-than-thou Christians, that's what you are, and everyone's doing it, right? So what's the big deal? This is what people say. But on the day of judgment, when they're getting their just rewards for their sin, then they're going to have a different perspective. Then they're going to be lamenting themselves, loathing themselves, saying, I should have listened. I should have listened to my pastor. I should have listened to my parents. I should have listened to my grandparents. I should have listened to my Christian friend and instead of spurning their instruction. I did not listen to them, and now it has all come to pass. It has all come true, but it's too late. It's too late on the day of judgment. On the day of judgment, the time for repentance and faith in Christ is over. Now it is the day of judgment, and you're going to get what you deserve, and there is not going to be 
any change. Luke chapter 16. Luke 16, verses 23 to 25. Luke 16, 23. In Hades he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away, and Lazarus in his bosom. He cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus so that he might dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus bad things. And now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great chasm fixed, so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able, and that none may cross over from there to us." Here, this is it. He's getting it. He's getting tormented in Hades. And he even addresses Abraham as his father. Father Abraham, meaning he's a Jew. He's a Jew. And as a Jew, does he likely have some knowledge of the Scriptures? No doubt about it. But did he listen? Did he listen when he was a child and he was going to the temple and the priests were teaching the Word of God? Did he listen when the Levite came to his town? and was telling them about money, and abusing money, and taking care of the widow, and the orphan, and the poor, and doing those... He wasn't listening on those days. Was he listening when they were preaching against gluttony? No, he wasn't listening. He didn't pay heed. He didn't pay attention. And now, he's in a place of torment. And he wants relief, but is he going to get any relief? No, not one drop of relief. Not one bit at all. You are getting what you deserve. Verse 15. What is the solution? The solution. This is why adultery is such a stupid sin. Because it is completely, utterly senseless. There's no reason for it. Because God has given a solution to this desire, and here he provides it. This is the way that you overcome it. Verse 15, drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be yours alone and not for a stranger with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth as a loving hind and a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. Here, the solution Get married and have your own wife. Get married and have your own husband. This is the solution to fulfilling this desire. Instead of going to a forbidden woman, have your own wife and then go to her and fulfill the desire with your own wife. Again here, sex is not the problem. Sexual desire is not the problem. Sexual desire is not in and of itself evil. When it is pursued contrary to the Bible, then it is a sin. But this is the case with many other things as well, such as food. Is food evil? Is eating food evil? No, we have to eat food. It's evil not to eat food because we're going to die needlessly. But can food be abused? Yes. Is money evil in and of itself? No. But is the abuse of money evil? Yes. This is always the case, and this is the case with sexual desire as well. It is not in itself sinful, and it can be practiced in righteousness, in a righteous way, if we're practicing it according to the Bible. And here, according to the Bible is, each man should have his own wife, and then drink water from your own cistern. Drink as much as you want is what he's saying. It doesn't matter. Drink as much as frequently as you want from your own cistern. Should your springs be dispersed abroad? Streams of water in the streets? No, of course not. They're for you, right? They're for you and for your wife. Why would they be spread abroad? Why would you let someone else drink from your fountain? Why would you drink from another fountain when you have your own fountain at your home? You don't even have to go anywhere. She's right there, right? Why would you do that? Let them be yours alone and not for the strangers within you. 
let your fountain be blessed. Right? Let your fountain be blessed. So it's possible for the fountain to be blessed by God. Correct? Because that's the one who blesses, isn't it? Doesn't all blessing come from God? So there is a way for your fountain to be blessed by God. And what is the way for that to happen? Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Then your fountain is blessed. Then it is right in the sight of God. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. The Apostle Paul addresses this topic. Proverbs, the book of Proverbs was written to Jews living in the land of Israel around 800 B.C. And the book of Corinthians is written to Greeks living in the city of Corinth probably 850 years later. And yet, in both cases, it's the same truth. Because it doesn't matter, Jew or Greek. It doesn't matter if they lived... A thousand years ago, two thousand years ago, three thousand years ago, if it's an ancient culture, if it's a modern culture, it doesn't matter. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. Human nature does not change. The same sins that Solomon is dealing with in Proverbs 5 are the same sins that are being dealt with in Corinth. So it's the same that's going to be for us today, right? That's the point that we need to see. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Now, concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. But because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. It is good for a man not to touch a woman sinfully, in immorality, in fornication, in adultery. But because of immorality, because of the possibility and the likelihood of sexual immorality, what is the means that God has provided so that this desire will not lead to sin. Each man is to have his own wife and each woman her own husband. That's the solution, right? And that's not evil. We shouldn't say, oh, this is unspiritual because it's physical and fleshly. No, this is what the apostle says. So if you deny this, if you say, well, no, we just need to have self-control and need to overcome our urges, that is demonic. It's evil. That's what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, when men forbid marriage and food that God created to be received with thanksgiving. When people say, no, it's good for us not to get married. It's good for us, we just need to, to put the desire away and kill it. Well, what ends up happening if you live according to that? You're going to commit sin against God. Then those priests go and they do things with children, and it's even worse. And that's because this is the means God has provided. And if you deny this, it's not more spiritual, it's not more holy. It's actually, it's unholy and it's evil. The means God has provided to overcome sexual immorality is get married and then have your own wife and have your own husband. And it goes both ways. Each man should have his wife and each woman her husband. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife and the wife also to her husband. In both ways. It's a two-way street. There are times when the husband may not want to, but guess what? It's his duty to fulfill his wife. There are times when the wife may not want to, but guess what? It is her duty to fulfill the duty of a wife to the husband. And I've heard in both scenarios, both situations, and sometimes the man has a greater desire, and other times the woman has a greater desire. Well, when that is the case, what must the other party do? Do what God has called you to do. That's self-control, is practicing self-control in that way so that we're being obedient to God. Verse 4, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. When the two get married, the man doesn't have authority over his own body anymore. The two become one flesh. His body belongs to his wife, and she has rights to that body. Her body belongs to him, and he has rights to that body. And the other party doesn't have the right to say, no, no, it's mine, leave me alone, don't bother me. 
No, this isn't the way it's taught. This is not according to the scripture. He says, stop depriving one another. That's something that they were doing. They were depriving one another of their conjugal rights. He says, stop doing that. If he says, stop doing it, and you don't stop, then what are you doing? You're committing a sin against God. So in this case, not having sex is a sin. If you're depriving your husband or wife. Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time, so that you may devote yourself to prayer and come back together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Here the concession is, if by agreement, if the husband wants to devote himself to prayer, but the wife says, no husband, I can't do that, then what should he do? Give her her rights. Give her her rights, or vice versa. If it's the wife that wants to and the husband says, no, I can't, then she needs to give him his rights. And for a short period of time, and then come together again so that Satan not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Here again, self-control is not saying, I'm going to beat this urge back and I'm not going to act upon it. Self-control is acting on the desire in the biblical way in the proper way within the marriage marriage relationship. But this I say by way of concession and not a command. Okay, so that's 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where the Apostle Paul is addressing it there to the people in Corinth. And this is the same as Proverbs chapter 5. The blessed fountain is the one rejoicing in the wife of youth or the husband of youth. There in verse 19, he says, As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. This would be the same as have your own wife. Why are you going to a strange woman when you have a wife from God? He says, enjoy her. Fulfill your desires with her. Let her breast satisfy you. Be exhilarated always with her love. That's the way that you fulfill it, is in this way. So be satisfied with your wife. That's what the men need to do. And the women need to be satisfied with their husband and not say, I wish he wasn't so flabby, right? And, oh, look at this guy over here. He's a hunk of hunk of burning love, right? Or the vice versa. For the the men to do that, no. We should be satisfied with what God has given us. Also, with this, husbands and wives need to talk openly and honestly with one another about this. This is often a problem that we've seen in the church, in relationships, Husbands and wives are not talking to each other openly and honestly about it. So then everything is cat and mouse. Does she want it? Does she not want it? Does he want it? I I do. I don't know. No one knows what's going on because no one's talking about it. Just talk with one another openly and honestly about it. Talk about what you need, what your expectations are, frequency, all of those types of things. Just get it all out on the table so that everyone knows what's going on. And it will make a vast improvement in your marriage, in the home. There won't be tension. There won't be all this secrecy, all this going on. It'll all be out in the open. And we have testimonies of multiple people who we've told to do this to and have both testified that it made a great difference in their marriage, a great difference when they started being open and honest and talking openly to each other about these things. And it improved their marriage greatly. So this is what he's saying. This is what we need to do. Isn't the Bible talking about it openly here? Then we need to do it in our homes as well. And he says that uh, you should rejoice in the wife of your youth. Typically, when people get married, they're happy, right? They love each other. Oh, we love each other so much. It's the love of my life. I'm so happy I get to spend the rest of my life with you. They put these kind of sappy posts up on Facebook and other places like that. 
Well, but then some time goes by, you start having kids, you know, they come in and mess everything. I'm just kidding. No, kids are a great blessing. No, they're wonderful. You, but things get more complicated. It's not just the two of you anymore. Everyone starts getting older, you know, you start packing on some more pounds, those kinds of things. And then you start thinking, oh, you know, this guy, he's a real bum. Look at him. He's a slob over there. And, and they start pining for another man. Or the man, look, look at her. You know, she's had multiple kids. You know, that does things to their bodies. And, oh, look at these young women. And, and they start thinking about that. But no, rejoice in the wife of your youth. The way you rejoice in her in your youth, continue rejoicing in her for the rest of your life. Right? This is the way that we should be. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 Verse 9 says, Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which God has given to you under the sun. For this is your reward in life and in your toil in which you have labored under the sun. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life. This is one of the blessings that God gives us in this life. Marriage is a great blessing. Having a wife is a great blessing. He who finds a wife finds a good thing right, and obtains favor from the Lord. Finding a wife is a good thing. Finding a husband is a good thing. These are great blessings of God. And we should not reject those and we should not turn away from them, but rather enjoy them, right? Enjoy them. And it should be the case that our marriages get better as the years go on and that it's, it improves and gets better as time goes on. Even in regards to Sexuality as well. Verse 20. For why should you be exhilarated, my son? For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? He says, Why would you do this? It is a needless sin. It is a senseless sin. God has given you a wife. So instead of being exhilarated with a foreigner, be exhilarated with your own wife. Instead of embracing the bosom of a foreigner, embrace the bosom of your own wife, right? Why go to her when you have your own wife and you can be fulfilled in her? Why would you do this? He says, it's senseless. It makes no sense at all. Verse 21, especially when we look at it from this perspective. For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all of his paths. His own iniquities will capture the wicked, and he will be held with the cords of his sin. He will die for lack of instruction, and in the greatness of his folly, he will go astray. The ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord. He watches all his paths. Isn't it often the case that when a man is committing adultery, or when a woman is committing adultery, they do it in secret? They don't want their partner to catch them. They do it in shady hotels. They do it under the cover of darkness. They do it in that way, right? Secretly in these types of things. But who is it not a secret from? God. God sees all of it. The ways of a man, all of our ways are before the eyes of the Lord. He watches all of our past. He sees everything that's going on. You can't hide from God. So why would you do this knowing that God sees it and that God will hold you accountable on the day of judgment. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. He watches the evil, He watches the good. He sees it all. So don't think that you can hide it. Don't think that God doesn't think, see it. Don't think that you're going to get away with it. No, you're not going to get away with it. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. And Ezekiel 18, verse 4 says, The soul that sins shall surely die. Shall surely die. So, his own iniquities will capture the wicked and he will be held with the cords of his sin. His own sins will be a cord that will bind him in the lake of fire for all eternity. He will die for lack of instruction, and in the greatness of his folly, he will go astray. It is foolishness to go astray in this way. Foolishness, because it will destroy us. 
It will destroy us for a moment of pleasure. Think about the ruin that happens in homes where adultery comes in. It destroys the husband and wife. Even if their marriage survives, there's no trust there. It takes years to overcome that. And then what about the children? If there's children in the home, if it ends in divorce, then now the children are separated. And then if the wife remarries and now there's others brought in, there's all sorts of complexities that are brought into that that are not good. It doesn't bring about stability in the home for the children, right? And then many times those children, when they get older, then they become uh, sexually immoral as well. It wreaks havoc. What about your testimony? What about the church? If some scandal like that rocks the church, right? These are the things we got to think about. Not just the moment of sin, not the pleasure of sin. That's the problem is people aren't thinking long-term. They're thinking five minutes ahead. They're not thinking even an hour ahead or, or a day ahead, much less thinking about eternity and the life to come. But we have to think about these things. Also, Hebrews 13, verse 4. Hebrews 13, verse 4. Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Marriage is to be held in honor among all. We should have a very high view of marriage, a very honorable view of marriage, and say that that woman belongs to that man. That man belongs to that woman, to his wife, to her husband. She doesn't belong to me. She's forbidden. She's off limits. Why would I have anything to do with her? Right? No, I'm not going to. I'm not going to in any way. Marriage should be held in honor. We have to overcome this because in our culture today, marriage is not held in honor at all. It is, it is despised in many ways, shapes, and forms, but not among us. It can't be that way among us. In the world, it's not held in honor, but in the church, it must be held in honor. And the marriage bed is to be undefiled, meaning husband and wife. That is where, who the marriage bed belongs to, not a stranger, not a foreigner. They should not be brought into the marriage bed, but only that which is pure, pure and wholesome in the sight of God, not fornicators, not adulterers. And God's going to judge them. And if God declares it to be true, then it will happen. We can rest assured. So then what should we do? Well, men and women, do not turn to a foreigner. Do not turn to an adulterous woman or an adulterous man. And men and women, so we shouldn't turn to someone else, and then we should satisfy our own husband and our own wife. This is the way that we should live, in the proper way, according to the will of God. And then we can practice this desire in a way that is righteous and pleasing in the sight of God. So then let's strive to do that and teach our children to do the same as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word and Lord, how it speaks to us so forthrightly. Lord, concerning sin, concerning judgment, and Lord, concerning the very practical solutions to sin that you provide. Lord, we thank you that, Lord, you have not left us to fight against these desires, Lord, without there being any outlet, without there being any way to fulfill them. But rather, Lord, you have given us a way, a way that is pleasing in your sight for a man to find a wife, and for the two to come together and then to fulfill these desires within the institution of marriage. And then, Lord, for the blessing that you give as a result of that, the children that come into the home and that are a blessing, Lord, from you. So, Father, we thank you that you have made us male and female. Lord, that you have made us in the way that you have, Lord, with the parts that we have. Lord, that you have put them together perfectly according to your will. And Lord, that they bring about so much good, Lord, whenever it is practiced in a way that is pleasing to you. Father, guard us from the sins of this world. Lord, immorality is rampant around us. Lord, it is everywhere in the most gross, obscene forms imaginable. 
Lord, that these things are being practiced openly without any shame or hesitation. Lord, being promoted in our culture, Lord, even by our government. Lord, who should be punishing evildoers, and yet when it comes to immorality, they are promoting it. Lord, even recently we've seen, Lord, even in the schools that they're promoting this among children. Lord, little ones, even in their innocence, are being taught, Lord, all sorts of obscenities and things that are abhorrent in your sight. Lord, we pray that you would purify us, Lord, and that you would purify our culture. Lord, that there would be some semblance of civility and, Lord, modesty in the way that people conduct themselves, in what they talk about, in the way that they dress and conduct themselves in society. Lord, that we would not be beset with so many temptations. But Lord, until that day, we pray that you give us, Lord, the ability to overcome, Lord, to fight against sin. And Lord, we pray that we would use the means that have been established by you. Lord, that each man would have his own wife and each wife would have her own husband so that we would not fall into sexual immorality. Lord, may we hold marriage in honor among the church in high regard. And Lord, may our marriage beds be kept undefiled, but only, Lord, purity and holiness, Lord, within our home. So Father, we pray that you would bless us, bless our families, bless our homes. Lord, protect our children from immorality. May we teach them and raise them, Lord, in the fear of you. Lord, that they would be pure and holy in your sight. And that, Lord, they would be preserved until they are married. And that, Lord, you would guard us from sin and help us to walk uprightly in this present age. Lord, be with us as we go from here today. Give us safety as we travel home. Lord, we pray that you continue to bless this Lord's Day. And that, Father, you would help us this week to do your will. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.